Hi everyone, welcome to Insights by Bergman, a podcast that provides timely commentary from subject matter experts on topics and trends related to our built environment. I'm today's host, Stacy Lake, and joining us today is Eric Redding, Bergman's Solar Discipline Leader with our Energy and Environment Practice. Thanks for joining us, Eric. Thanks for having me, Stacy. So we're going to talk today about a topic that uh, you manage every day. It is your life here at work at Bergman. It's really relevant to many communities right now, uh, community solar and common misconceptions that happen in that industry. Um, Before we dive in, I thought it would be great for our listeners to hear a bit about your background. You've been at Bergman for about 12 years now, and the solar discipline was started about two years ago. So can you tell us a little about your path and how you came to be in the role that you're in currently? Uh, Yeah, definitely. So uh, I joined Bergman back in 2008 after graduating from Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute, or RPI, uh, with a degree in civil engineering. And I started in Bergman's Albany office doing uh, civil site designs uh, in our land development group. So I did anything from grading to site layouts to stormwater management designs, um, as well as permitting uh, through various local municipalities, uh, attending planning board meetings, zoning board meetings, and uh, mostly for uh, commercial retail types of projects, um, including Walmart, strip retails, uh, fast food restaurants, banks, uh, including warehouses uh, and those types of projects. So about four to five years ago, Bergman started getting into solar and solar projects. um, And it started small. Uh, I think our first project was out in Rhode Island. And then uh, over the past uh, four years, uh, the Discipline has grown enough that uh, it, it we started our own discipline for it. So uh, it was about two years ago now that uh, the position opened up and it was a good opportunity for me to take on some additional responsibility. Um, I've always had an interest in clean, renewable energy. Uh, so it was a perfect fit for me to make the jump over to the energy and environment practice and uh, been there since. That's fantastic. And I think that speaks to just your growth and evolution in not only your career, but here at Bergman as a firm, which is really fantastic, the way that you were able to kind of carve out that path and go in a different direction. What drove your interest in clean and renewable energy? Is this something that you've just always been interested in? Did it get sparked in college? You know, do you have any idea when it started? Yeah, definitely uh, a little bit more recently uh, and because of the environment. You know, there's so many, only so many uh, fossil fuels available. Uh, so, um, you know, th- we have a problem to solve uh, as a society. You know, how do we uh, come up with a renewable energy to replace fossil fuels? Um, and I think solar is going to be a major component of that. Um, so I've definitely grown in interest uh, in that regard over the past uh, four or five years or so. Um, so it was a great fit for me to uh, move over into the uh, energy environment practice. That's fantastic. And it's been really neat um, from an outside perspective, outside being outside of the discipline and not being involved in your day to day to see the impact that you and the rest of the team are having. You know, we shared a stat on our website recently that's really impressive. Bergman has supported nearly 70 solar projects across New York State alone um, and developed a total of 299 megawatts as a result. So can you help those of us who don't know a lot about the industry understand what that means to residents in these areas? Yeah, so it basically means any resident, um, specifically across New York State, are able to take advantage of uh, solar energy uh, without the need to put panels on their roofs, uh, in their yards, or anything like that. Um, They can get the 10% discount on their electrical bill. 
uh, and also support clean renewable energy. Um, you know, and these projects, they don't need to be across the street from your house to take advantage of them. They could be on the other side of town, a different county. It just has to be on the, the same grid with the same utility company and uh, you can take advantage of it. That's really interesting. And, you know, I in my travels, which have quelled a little bit during COVID, clearly, I think for most of us, it's the same case. But I remember driving across New York State and in key areas, seeing these solar, far- solar farms in fields, in different industrial areas. It seems like they're becoming more popular and they're popping up everywhere. Is that an accurate assessment? Oh, yeah, definitely. And, you know, I think there's a few things that play into that. Uh, and one of them is the technology. Uh, the technology has gotten much more efficient um, while using a smaller footprint. And then also the price of the solar panels has come down dramatically. Um, so being able to uh, develop these projects for cheaper using smaller space, uh, they become viable for development. Uh, so that I think that's a major component why we're seeing a big growth in it. And then the other uh, side of it is, you know, the general public, you know, we uh, we see that fossil fuels are limited. So I think uh, we want to make sure that the future generations um, have a clean, renewable energy source. Uh, and, you know, it's on us to really take that and run with it. So uh, I've seen a, a big growth in the uh, in the industry. And it sounds like a big growth in the interest level as well, it sounds like. Um, and, and that kind of leads us to the heart of, of what we wanted to talk a little bit about today. In your role, you're out in the public. You're working with our partners, with our clients to um, bring these to communities. And you often are involved in discussions, the pros and the cons of these solar farms and what they mean to the residents of the areas. So you're you have a, a number of misconceptions that you've come across that we wanted to touch on today. So I'll just kind of open it up and, and let you kind of lead us down this path of what you're hearing um, out there that maybe isn't 100% accurate that you maybe want to, you know, bring some truth to and clarify a little bit to help us out. Yeah, so uh, I have been traveling across the state, uh, attending various public meetings for these projects uh, and uh, community solar projects specifically uh, that, you know, I've received a lot of the same questions um, from, you know, different towns uh, that I continue to have to address. So, uh, you know, I think solar farms, they are, it's still a relatively new thing. Uh, It's being used more and more, as we uh, mentioned before. Um, So uh, there's bound to be some misconceptions. Um, You know, I can see that. So I think by, you know, doing something like this, we can get the word out uh, a little bit more um, to help clear up some of them. Um, so there isn't all of these questions for everybody. Um, if a project does come into someone's uh, town or in their area. So um, to jump right into it, you know, one of the one of the things I see at almost every town is that uh, solar farms decrease the area of agricultural fields available, and they also have a negative effect on farming. So while I think that is a temporary effect, um, uh, you know, and it does decrease some of the area temporarily. Um, you know, it is only temporary and it doesn't, it also preserves the underlying soils so that they could be used for agricultural farming in the future. Um, you know, the, the alternative development that I've seen is say a residential subdivision, which has more of an impact to the soils and the, uh, the farming capability into the future. Um, so, uh, and in addition, uh, with the agricultural fields, the uh, 
the farmers typically only lease out a portion of their fields to community solar farms where the remaining portions of the land could still be used for farming. Um, and they also get an additional revenue stream from these solar farms. So they could use that money to reinvest in farming for the remainder of the field um, and grow the farming business on the side as well. So you talk about these being temporary structures. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? I mean, we, I don't want to get too overly technical, but it, it that tells me that when you are building in these solar panels and these um, farms in these fields, you're not doing a lot to disrupt this the area itself. Yep, that's correct. Um, so they, they really are... Um, they don't have a lot of impact on the land. Um, they're posts that are driven in the ground. They get, uh, you know, bolted onto the racking systems, and that's it. Um, and you know, at, at the beginning of these projects, the developers have to come up with what's called a decommissioning plan. So that basically puts in place a mechanism, bonds, or other funds um, that have to be in place so that at the end of the useful life, life of the solar panels, which is typically 25 to 35 years, um, there's a mechanism in place to remove them. So uh, that's another misconception is that you're going to have a field full of um, useless solar panels in the future. And uh, that's simply not true. You know, there's mechanisms in place prior to construction so that they are removed. Um, and then when they are removed, uh, if, if they are, then it can go back to uh, farming if, if that's what they choose to do. Hmm. Sounds very sustainable. So another um, topic that I know you've brought up is this uh, idea of wildlife disturbance and the impact that these uh, panels might have on the wildlife. I, I'm guessing that's a topic that you hear a lot in your travels as well? Yep, definitely. That we're using up space that might otherwise be used for uh, different types of wildlife. So um, there's different things that we have incorporated into these um, solar fields uh, to address that. And one uh, one of them is to uh, we leave a six inch gap on the bottom of the fences and that allows uh, different wildlife rodents to pass through still inhabit the area um, because these solar uh, farms are enclosed by a, uh, a fence um, so that will allow them to still use the area um, they have also used these uh, areas for sheep grazing uh, so instead of mowing the grass they'll bring in sheep they'll graze the land and uh, still you know an agricultural use um and then you don't have to bring in mowers to the site and then uh, another thing that we've seen has been very popular has been uh using pollinator seed mixes uh in the areas and that would help uh you know promote uh, honeybees uh to uh use the land as well which is fantastic because you hear a lot about the honeybee populations decreasing so that sounds like a really interesting solution as well to benefit a lot of the different parts of the ecosystem that's great Yep, exactly. So what are some of the other um, topics that tend to come up in conversation when you're speaking with residents uh, and folks in the areas? Yep, yep. Probably one of the next biggest ones would be uh, the decrease in value of nearby homes. Wow. And, you know, that one, there's no measurable um, impacts from a solar farm next to a residence or anything like that. Um, if anything, the they... The solar farms are very, you know, low disturbance on the land, um, and the, we tuck them back as far as we can. Um, we surround them with fences and landscape screening, so they are, you don't see them that much. 
um, and they're quiet. You can't hear them. There's no lighting associated with them. So a lot of times you can't even, you don't even know that they're there. Um, so there has been no, any studies or anything like that that shows there's going to be a, uh, a negative impact on home values. Very, very interesting. How yep. do you, so talk to us a little bit about the funding side of things then. What are some questions that come up about that with taxation or uh, you mentioned land value already, but, um, you know, talk to us about that. It might vary from community to community, but any generalizations that have come up in conversation? Yeah. So a lot of um, misconceptions would be that the residents feel that they're these developers are coming in just to use the land in their town, make some money off of them, and then they leave, which is completely not the the truth. Um, so these red in, residents, they don't not only get to take advantage of a 10% discount in their electric bill, uh, but the town also gets what's called a pilot uh, payment in lieu of taxes. So the town is getting additional revenue uh, for land that if it stayed vacant, they would not see that additional uh, revenue coming into the town. Mm-hmm. So um, the residents get to save money, the town gets additional money uh, to use to put back into the town. Um, so uh, it's, it's a win-win. So, you know, we've touched on a lot of um, misconceptions, which could also be called some negatives that are associated with this. What are some of the positive comments that you hear from people that get to benefit from these communities, from these farms that get placed? Yeah, it's, you know, using it, the area for clean, renewable energy. You know, a lot of times these areas that they're placed in aren't being actively farmed at this time. Um, So it's a great use of the land that, you know, you don't disturb the land. Um, and it could be used for the renewable energy source, and uh, it's very low impact. Um, like I mentioned before, if it's a different type of development, it might have a lot more impact not only on the land, but also on um, you know resources within the town as well, school districts, things like that. So it's a very low impact development. So a lot of people um, do like that, and then they like supporting the clean energy aspect of it seems to have a really good positive benefit there. So so I'm completely sold. If I'm someone who hears this and gets really stoked about the idea of using solar as a clean renewable power source in my community, what would you tell someone to do? Like how can we uh, get some of these built or learn about where these are being built in our communities? Yeah, so you can go right online and do some research. Um, I know a lot of the developers that we work with, they'll send out different links to uh, websites that where you could sign up for these. Um, and it's very simple. It doesn't cost anything. Um, it's a one-step process. And then basically your bill would come from the, um, the solar company and you would pay them. And then, like I said before, you would get a 10% discount uh, on it and uh, you don't have to have the upfront cost of installing solar panels on your roof or in your yard or anything like that. Um, So it's really simple and easy. Well, you just mentioned that, you know, it's a really interesting alternative to making that personal investment and having to figure out how to logistically place it on your own property. So it sounds like this is a really viable solution for a lot of folks in upstate New York and other places who don't want to take on that investment themselves. Oh yeah, definitely. We've worked on these types of projects uh, from, Rhode Island to Massachusetts and even out to Michigan. So it's it's going on everywhere. Wow, it's really exciting. 
Well, um, I really appreciate you spending some time with us today, Eric, and sharing some of this. I think it's really important to, to your point earlier to help folks understand the, the positives that are out there um, and, and what we can all do to maybe support more clean, renewable energy. Is there anything else that you want to share with our listeners before we uh, take off here? Yeah, uh, I just would say, you know, um, just want to let people know that community solar farms, uh, you know, they're a very low impact uh, to the environment. Um, it supports clean energy uh, and uh, hopefully it moves on in the future and keeps growing. Great. Sounds like a win-win for everybody, the environment and everyone involved. Well, Eric, thanks for joining us today and sharing your expertise. Um, we really look forward to hearing more about the upcoming projects that you and the energy and environment team are working on. Um, so please keep us posted and come back and join us again. Absolutely. Thanks a lot, Stacey. Thank you. So to our listeners, thanks for joining us on this episode of Insights by Bergman. We have a number of exciting topics teed up for future episodes, including a detailed look at the Reimagine the Erie Canal Initiative and a discussion on corporate decentralization in the wake of COVID-19, among other topics. Uh, just a reminder that this and all of our podcast episodes can be found at bergmanpc.com podcast or on your favorite streaming channels, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and many, many more. Until next time, I'm Stacy Lake with Insights by Berkman.